0: Beaming from Pacific Junction Hotel to Earth. Yo, welcome to My Summer Layer. I'm your host, Sammy Yunan, and I have with me a uh, really cool, super-duper entrepreneur. Is that your kind of title?
1: I guess so. Entrepreneur or, you know, person who's trying to make things happen. Okay. <laughs> <Sounds> like... <laughs> All right.
0: That's a lot to put on a business card. So yeah. introduce yourself and the name of your really cool app.
1: So my name's Sam Wills, and our application or browser-based program is called Wingadoos. And what Wingadoos does is we make animated, interactive, choose-your-own-adventure stories that teach elementary kids the basics of money, saving, spending, giving, growing money, and uh, responsible decision-making. So before we dive too much into the app, and we're going
0: to get to that, I want to start with something really interesting you fought at Madison square
1: garden. Yeah. yeah, I did. I was, uh, so I've, I've been, uh, into martial arts and boxing. Boxing's actually a really big passion of mine. And uh, a couple of years ago I was at uh, business school and I had a friend who, uh, uh, talked to me about, uh, this program called Haymakers for Hope. So I'll give a shout out to them. They're a really cool organization. And basically, you raise money for cancer charities. In my case, it was a liver cancer charity because uh, I knew someone at the Sloan Kettering Department. And they trained and uh, put us up for a fight, and you know, fought at the theater at Madison Square Garden, uh, which was a cool experience. Yeah, how like what is that like? Because Madison Square Garden has a huge boxing history. It does. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, now
0: and now you've added to that. legacy. I've added,
1: I've added, that's right. I've added to that legacy. Uh, you know, I, we had, uh, you know, it was in the theater, so it wasn't on the big stage, but there's still probably about 1100 people there. Um, and the theater, there's a lot of great fights that have mm-hmm. been fought there. You know, recently Lomachenko fights there a lot, uh, triple G, a lot of really great boxers. And, uh, I certainly added to that legacy. Uh, what is it like? um, Well, in my case, I, you know, considered myself to be kind of a shifty stick and move kind of fighter. Uh, You can't see me, obviously, but I'm very tall and lanky. And I think I have pretty good footwork, uh, footwork and movement. Um, And I was fighting a shorter guy. uh, But the moment you kind of walk in and they were playing, uh, you know, my walkout song was juicy. And I just got like, So hyped up Mm -hmm. and then the bell rings and I completely sort of lost any sense of strategy I had (laughs) and was just like, ah, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> this is like playing
0: like Jeopardy at home, right? Like you can make thousands, thousands of dollars because you're just killing it at home. But as oh, soon as you're yeah. like on the set and you have to ring the buzzer and everything else, you're like, yeah, uh, I don't know who that was. I'm like, I never heard of Napoleon.
1: Yeah, you get <laughs> lost in Trebek's eyes and get nervous and forget to hit the, <laughs> yeah. hit the buzzer. So that's what happened in my case. But it's still a cool experience. That's
0: really neat. Mm-hmm. So this boxing and that kind of strategy and boxing is also known as the sweet science. Does any of that apply or help you uh, figure out business and how you navigate business or is there any applications to those? It's, you know, that's they're an, both
1: fights. Yeah. You know, that's an inter, interesting thing. I, I've actually probably not spent as much time thinking about that as I should. There's certainly overlaps. Uh, one of the ways is definitely, I think catharsis um, in terms of, Hitting stuff feels really good. So being a business owner or an entrepreneur, as you said, you know, there's a lot of challenges, a lot of frustrations trying to get your product in the hands as many people. And uh, I think without an outlet, either emotionally or physically, it becomes difficult. So for me, boxing and martial arts are just an amazing way of clearing my head getting out what I need to get out and allowing me to sort of be level headed going forward. There's also probably a lot of overlaps in terms of, uh, like how you can think of the science part of it, mm-hmm. you know, tactically. I mean, the experience I just told you about was, you know, definitely something I think about a lot is, uh, don't lose focus of the plan. Even when things get heated, uh, probably something I should think of more. <laughs> actually when applying Well, and business. business,
0: all business really is just haymakers
1: for hope. Yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. right. (laughs) Just you're hoping you land that that big shot. That's it. Some sort
0: of deal or you have a big meeting or whatever. And it's like, (laughs) we got to deliver on this presentation. Haymakers for Hope. Right. So you hope you swing and hit the chin or something.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All you can do is just close your eyes, you know, throw an overhand right and hope it lands. Right.
0: So as you mentioned, the the app is the Wingadoos and it's a financial literacy uh, Mm -hmm. for younger kids, uh, kindergarten to grade three, correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. Mm Mm-hmm
0: so we've seen this in a lot in popular culture, where like ESPN had a documentary called Broke," where a number of athletes who signed really high profile contracts earning like hundreds of millions of dollars they went broke We've seen this with MC Hammer, who also went broke uh, so is uh, is this app inspired by mc hammer 's experiences? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we almost called it Hammer time okay, and then we, we had to change the name to be something more child appropriate <laughs> but uh,
0: because this is the cautionary tale, right? You don't want them to end up like empty hammers i
1: mean it? it's it's true. I mean th- that's kind of the whole point of this is uh, in this country, we put our average college graduate in thirty nine thousand dollars of student debt. Mm-hmm. Um, less than ten percent of classrooms teach anything about money, and most importantly, and this is kind of the reason we started the business, there's a lot of brain science. Uh, that comes out. Particularly, there was a white paper that inspired us early on from Cambridge University that says that money habits are formed before the age of seven. So even though we're focused on young kids, the idea is that in a society that doesn't value financial education, where you put kids in debt and don't train them how to get out of debt, these things need to start very early on. You know, Forming lifelong habits uh, prevents you, if you come into money some days like MC Hammer or all these athletes, athletes that you mentioned, uh, being able to make smart, sound financial decisions. And that's the most important thing. It's an important part of, uh, being a functioning member of society. And, and, uh, when people don't get that, it, it creates a, a very difficult life pathway. So we need to do a better job of, uh, educating our youngest at, uh, you know, at the most impactful age.
0: Money is a weird thing too, because there is, um, especially when you're talking to kids, because there's already a suspension of disbelief, like this piece of paper, Mm-hmm. Is worth twenty dollars this piece of paper is just something we put in a printer. you know what i mean like it's a yeah. weirder thing for them do they do they seem to kind of get it you, as you've noticed they kind of g- interact with the app
1: yeah that, that's that's kind of the uh the interesting thing i mean money like if we really think about it is just it's you know it's the belief that this piece of paper holds value and mm-hmm. that you know somebody you know Thomas. Uh, I was going to say Thomas Jefferson, but I guess that's that's not <laughs> that relevant anymore. Where somebody puts uh, Lincoln on it, or uh, anybody else, that you can exchange that uh, for you know a certain amount of goods and services versus something that has Ben Franklin on it. So it is kind of a high concept, and that concept's been been made more difficult by the fact that we live in an era of digital payments. You know, where parents are buying stuff in Amazon Prime. And barely using cash so the opportunities to teach kids about the concept of money are getting slimmer and it's becoming harder and you know as student debt rise you're in more of a uh you know a a crisis position where we need to make this a societal priority
0: and you touched upon this already but how come we don't teach this kind of stuff in school like It almost seems like there's a lot of stuff that the school curriculum has that's like, that could be already covered by Google, like how many different states there are and stuff like that. Like it should be freeing up more time to kind of focus on money. Like it's the same thing of how we kind of do like sex and health, but we don't do any dating. So how to talk to a girl. We don't know. (laughs) Here's how to sleep with her. (laughs) Right. That's what we teach them. Yeah. So how come money and like financial literacy, as you put it, is not being taught in schools or it's just not a priority.
1: I think that, you know, the first reason is society moves faster than bureaucracy you know, whenever you have a bureaucracy and, you know, obviously education is a massive bureaucracy starting at the federal levels down to the state and local levels, Mm -hmm. uh, it becomes hard to change stuff for so many people. And, you know, you know, I think you can find a numerous amount of examples where the education system is years behind. I mean, like, you know, people talk about still learning script or, you know, other things. I mean, I'm not going to hate on script but like you know there are certainly subject matters that are more valuable for kids to learn so i think that's one reason another reason is you know i think now um we're just starting to get to a point where student debt's gotten so bad that we're realizing that this is an issue and there's this uh reticence this resistance to talk about money because i think we 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 think it's a more complex thing than it is like I run into all the time, you know, I say, hey, we're trying to teach kids about money. Um, And people go like, how do you teach a kid about compounding interest? Like, (laughs) what do you do that? Like, are you trying to turn them into the banker? And it's like, no, you know, the world is, you know, made up of transactions. You know, everything you do is going to have to do with budgeting, uh, saving, and even things like delayed gratification. The fact that like you, um, you know, maybe resist the temptation to hold on to save or have something better happen in the future. Those are fundamental concepts uh, that we need to start teaching. And, you know, what I've seen, especially in the last year, is because the debt conversation has become more and more of a national issue, you know, people are starting to talk about this. States are starting to pass laws, which is really exciting for us. And
0: as this app, is it aimed at like a certain demographic of children, like at more at risk areas and uh, poor areas or any kid needs to learn how to kind of like save money and do that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, I oftentimes get asked, like, how are you closing the gap between rich kids and poor kids? And and actually, while there is sort of a functional gap that like there's higher risk for kids from, you know, lower socioeconomic backgrounds, the money issue of you know people not learning is actually kind of across the spectrum so you know wealthy kids don't learn about it uh less wealthy kids don't really learn about it so we've designed this to be broad in scope and you know the way it works is this is not an application that a kid is going to you know download or a parent gives and the kid just kind of goes off and uses it it's meant to be an experience either with a teacher in a classroom where the teacher guides, you know, the kids through the lesson, through mm-hmm. the stories and through the choices, and they can customize that um, to the appropriate level of their their class and what their class wants to hear and learn about. And we're also coming out with a way for parents to have an interactive experience with their kids too. So it's almost like a co-learning uh, application as opposed to something that you just sort of give to your kid at a restaurant and they distract themselves. Yeah. Like a
0: babysitter or something. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And that you brought up the parents too. Is this like having like the sex talk or something like that? You have to have <laughs> the, the money talk. Is this something that parents are you finding in terms of your research, in terms of your interactions, parents are not having like the money talk with their kids or where is yeah. this kind of knowledge gap? kind of happening. Yeah.
1: So, you know, we, when we first did this, we ran a survey with several hundred people. And one of our results showed that, uh, people are more likely to have a conversation with sex and drugs, uh, more than they are to talk about money. Money is a very taboo in this uh, subject. Um, and a lot of it is because, you know, parents have, you know, been burned themselves. Mm -hmm. And of course they're resistant to talk about it. They feel like, they may not know about it they they feel that maybe that's an unfair system and it's a hard subject to talk about if if you've had some past trauma with it um uh, but parents absolutely need to have the money conversation with kids you know it's uh, it's a changing world and you know if you don't there are big consequences to pay you know if i if i can share a story go for it i was just at uh uh ISTE, which is the uh, I believe the largest educator conference in the country is in Philadelphia a couple of weeks ago. And I was talking to this um and I had a teacher share something that was kind of blew me away. And the teacher was talking about financial education in his classroom. And he said he had a student who um, you know, raised her hand and said, oh, my mom doesn't need to, uh, you know, she doesn't ever pay for clothes when she goes to the clothing store. And he thought, oh, you know, this, this, the parents must go to a clothing bank. But the kid revealed that, oh, no, it's just when she goes to the clothing store, she has this magic card and she waves the card and oh, yes. they don't have to pay. And the kicker on this story uh, was that the girl was 14 years old. Wow. And when I heard that, I was like, you... You know, we can't live in a society where that kid's a couple of years away from making the decision whether to go into college and get into student debt and not understand that, you know, mom had to pay for those clothes and that, you know, the credit card was just a different form of payment. Mm-hmm. That's a dangerous uh, situation to be in. So, my hope is that anyone who uses our program or anyone who gets any kind of money talk or, uh you know, can can really avoid getting into that situation. With magic we, cards. Yes, with with, with any with, with anything. I mean it's just like we can't fail kids and, and have them have that conversation when they're fourteen.
0: So the the Wingadoos app you said is a choose your own adventure. Can you kind of break it down a little bit and give us a little bit of sense of what's kinda of going on with it and how it works?
1: Yeah. So the Wingadoos are a band of pigeons. Literally they're starting a band and uh, you know kids will follow along You know, different stories as the Wingadoos, you know, do things like have to figure out how to sell more merchandise or, you know, pay for a restaurant bill or, you know, instruments. Yeah, getting instruments. Exactly. And uh, kids will watch short little narrative clips. Um, You know, there's always a song uh, in each module that we're creating. And then uh, kids and teachers or parents will have the opportunity to select a character and we provide different lessons. Uh, Based on each character. And when the kids select a character, they'll hear sort of the choices that character gets to make. And they can, in a classroom environment, vote on what they want the characters to do. Um, So it gives an opportunity for teachers to teach cost benefits. Um, And, you know, we're, you know, a situation might be a character's trying to save or a character's trying to spend. uh, And we're not teaching that spending is worse than saving. Uh, We're teaching sort of, you know, these decisions, we want them to be complex. So um, maybe it's good that you spend it if you think this purchase is going to be worth it. But, you know, if you save it, that you can get more stuff in the future, but maybe you miss out on something. Mm -hmm. Um, So getting kids to really just have mindfulness and think about their decisions critically, and then hopefully to have parents think about their decisions critically, is really what we're trying to build with Wingadoos.
0: And who's the team that you have like helping with the animation uh making the music all that kind of the making the magic happen?
1: great, yeah, so we've got a really cool team um we've got uh folks from uh uh Emmy award winners uh who've worked on uh you know children's programming, like uh I'll just say it you know Sesame Street, one of our creative directors uh been working with them for about 25 years that's really cool yeah and um so Sesame street's a real street now right <laughs> sure in, is it in, <laughs> isn't it in new york it's city uh, i think so it's a real street now it's, po- it's possible they have like joey ramon place and they give you know lots <laughs> of uh you know streets out to, to to impactful things but i've never seen big bird walking around the street i know they film pretty close to here in, in long island city um but um so we've got a really cool creative team our animation team is, uh, you know, works with a lot of uh, really big companies, um, and they've just been excellent partners. They're called Flickr Labs, so I'll give a shout out to them as well. Um, And then besides that, we've got, uh, you know, advisors from the financial sector, the education sector, and just a lot of really great, talented people uh, who really know what they're doing making this stuff. Um, You know, so I'm just helping to drive towards you know the expansion of this and the outcomes but really like the content expertise is you know you know me just sort of working with great people
0: and is the hope as we kind of already uh talked about it is the hope then to kind of put a little i don't know pressure's right word or a haymaker for hope in terms of the school curriculum and then that this becomes financial literacy becomes part of the curriculum is that eventually is that one of the goals of uh, wingadoo's
1: Yeah, I think, you know, we'd certainly like to find ways to put pressure on governments to be able to advocate for financial literacy at a younger age. What I think is really happening is a lot of, uh, you know, this debt conversation has caused a lot of states to rethink uh, what they're teaching. And, you know, states like uh, Massachusetts, uh, Wisconsin, um, you know, in the last couple of years have added financial literacy curriculum. New Jersey has just mandated it for middle schoolers. Uh, but what we we really wanna do is get this pushed into every single level of the curriculum. So, you know, our goal is to really be owners, or not not really owners, but like to think for people when they think about money for kids, for young kids and young, and families with young kids, for them to think about uh, Wingadoos and, uh, you know, Whatever advocacy efforts we can make towards that end, we'll we'll certainly do.
0: And for the Wingadoos themselves, why pigeons? Why
1: uh, is this a New York thing, or is this a a little bit? I you know I don't know how far we're going with this, but like the original name for where the Wingadoos live was Williams Bird. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's pretty good, yeah. Um, That's pretty clever. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if we're we're really gonna stick with that, but uh, you know, pigeons are not really owned in the cartoon space oh, like yeah. there's mice and mm-hmm. then there's squirrels and a there's lot of all this other stuff there's tigers and i think you know to my knowledge i don't think anyone really thinks of like when you say pigeons nobody nothing really jumps to mind mm-hmm. um so for us that was like a, a tactical decision uh you know pigeons um plus we live in new york city so it was probably nice know, little homage to, to, you, to yeah, the city. Exactly. <laughs> That's
0: really cool. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of uh, your work outside of uh, the Wingadoos, you are part of the Brooklyn Entrepreneurs Club.
1: Yeah, that's something I, I used to do. Um, I used to run a lot of entrepreneurial events in, here in the city. Um, you know, The community uh, has really grown in the last few years, so it's been something that's really important to me. I no longer have a position in organizing any of the uh, Brooklyn Entrepreneurs events, but it's, you know, it's a passion mm-hmm. of mine to build, help build community.
0: Well, the reason I brought it up was I was curious, like, what is the startup scene like in New York City? And is it growing? Is it stagnant? Is it like, how would you kind of describe it from your interactions?
1: Well, you know, I uh, I, I think it's made tremendous progress in the last few years. Um, I remember the first time I uh, graduated, uh, well, not the first time I graduated college, but the first company I ever worked on after college was a startup. And I think... Back then, and this is, you know, 2008, 2009, um, there was this real sense of, you know, a very early stage uh, scene that, you know, the real stuff was happening in Silicon Valley and the real money was in uh, Silicon Valley and Boston. Mm -hmm. And uh, now I think New York uh, has surpassed Boston in terms of the number of startups and number of uh, funding. And it's really done an amazing job of, you know, establishing a real community we work which is a new york city company has really helped that there's WeWorks all over the city we're right now sitting in a green desk which is uh also another kind of co-working space
0: yard i've seen the yard the all.
1: yard there's a number of really really good ones from every sort of uh you know price range um up and uh and and i think people now understand uh you know the sense of Uh, community a little bit more. It's not weird to tell people you work at a startup. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, there's just, there's enough funding here for you not to need to go to Silicon Valley and Boston, which is uh, uh, really exciting for a lot of companies. And and the other thing about it is that there's access to a lot of brain power here. Um, So, you know, in New York City, you've got the brands. In our case, you've got the the banking and financial institution sector. Um, You know, So the access to partners to be able to elevate your startup here is is pretty unparalleled on a global scale, I think.
0: It seems like it's almost shifted where New York City used to be the place where you would start up a band.
1: Yeah. And now it's almost like a place where you do a startup instead. Oh, yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess it's like that's just naturally happens everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I guess you still can start a band in New York City, (laughs) but it's probably really hard. I mean, I remember I used to like, go to Arlene's Grocery on the Lower East Side yeah. and you go to a bunch of hip-hop shows. And I think it's it's certainly getting harder to, to do that or to be an indie band. But somebody mentioned this to me once. It's really, really, I really thought it was interesting. Like one of the cool things about New York City is because of the way it's set up and because, you know, rent is expensive, you have to, if you want to start a creative pursuit, you almost have to support it with another thing that you're doing. So... And I think that has a lot of benefits. Um, It makes you work harder. You're more pressured into time. You have to work more efficiently. And it also gives you an opportunity to touch a lot more creative pursuits and get perspective on stuff. And I think that breeds a lot of really interesting people and a lot of really creative ideas from that. New York's always been a hub like that, though, like from 60s, 70s on now, like Mm. um,
0: just punk and filmmakers. uh, You mentioned hip hop. Like, there's always been. And I think it's part of that. It's just that hustle, like. Whenever I've come to New York, I'm from Toronto. But whenever I come to New York, it feels like even the hot dog vendor is try- trying to <laughs> is like trying to sell you something, like trying to get They're like b- trying to besides hot dogs, a, yeah, yeah, trying to like sling like 200 <laughs> hot dogs a day or whatever. Like you know what I mean? Even the hot dog guy is hustling. Yeah, right. And, That's what you got to do, man. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't feel necessarily that way from Toronto or Chicago or some of the other cities necessarily. Yeah, um, where people tend to be a little more relaxed, I guess. For like, yeah, the no hustle is not as hard.
1: Totally. I mean, people very distinctly live to work here. And, you know, it's by necessity, and it's also, you know, people move here to live to work. I don't think very many people move to New York City because they, like, you know, want to go to the beach on the weekends. Mm -hmm. Like, people are, you know, trying to do their best, and it's because that's a really good learning environment. There's a lot of people to learn from who just do things better than you, uh, and you see them everywhere. And, you know, like, it's just a, you know, a really good Environment to learn the hustle, and everybody's really proud of that here.
0: Which kind of feeds back into your app for the winged dudes, because that's always the choices you got to make. Like, if the money's coming in, like, do you buy a new guitar or do you pay the rent?
1: That's right. Yeah, right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You got to record somewhere. What's really
1: a need and what's really a want? Yeah,
0: right. Because it's like, but then if you get the guitar and you write one hit, you're on easy street. Yeah,
1: it's good. I mean, it's it's true. I mean, and that's kind of like a little bit of what we want to get to. That's a complex decision, you know do you spend money on something that can earn you money or do you spend money on the rent? You know, it's not a, uh, it's not an easy thing and, and people need to think critically about their decisions. And, you know, we want, uh, we want to, you know, think curb or just get people to understand impulse control. I mentioned delayed gratification earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, in that sense it is sort of a very, uh, New York city kind of, you know, attitude, but it's also an attitude that, you know, all Americans face, you know, most Uh, Americans, um, can't afford an emergency $500 expense. So they have to live with this decision of, um, you know, what do they do every day? Do they, you know, pay the rent or they put, you know, food on the table? Mm -hmm. Um, these are tough decisions and we don't, we certainly don't take them lightly when we're, we're writing the material we're writing. Yeah. It,
0: I mean, the healthcare was like that for a while for the States where Mm. like, it was fine as long as you were healthy. The second you got sick even if it's just a minor like you break your leg or something like that something minor where you can recover it would set you back like for years in terms of the cost and everything associated with it and that yeah. was kind of like the the financial gamble i guess that you take right
1: it's a shame um you know i mean i i'm not here to get into uh obviously the the faults of the healthcare system but it yeah has for sure a, that was just an analogy yeah, but it's true like it has a massive you know uh, impact on how people make any kind of uh, uh, financial uh, decisions. And even the need to buy insurance is, is uh, you know, a difficult one. Like, you know, as I said before, if you're debating between putting food on the table mm-hmm. or paying the rent, like how does insurance factor into your decisions? You're probably not going to prioritize it. And then if you get sick, you're really in deep trouble. Mm-hmm. Very, very tough economic situation we're in. Yeah.
0: So we'll close on this. Uh, You are in New York City and uh, you like a lot of hip hop and stuff like that. Yeah. How are you? Do you like a lot of the old school stuff? Do you like some of the new stuff that's happening? Yeah. Uh, Um, Where are you on this? (laughs) This is
1: probably the hardest question I've asked you, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. Where are you on the spectrum? Where am I on the spectrum? So, I mean, I have... I don't want to say an encyclopedic knowledge, but like a really good knowledge of anything before 2007 or eight. Those are good years before then. Um, And I'm not disparaging anybody who's in the modern realm. I just don't know it as well. Like Mm -hmm. my life has changed a little bit and I don't listen to hip hop as much. It doesn't get me motivated in the same way. And I don't know if that's just a factor of like the changing music And me like not liking it as much because there was certainly a ton of stuff I did not like in the 2000s when Mm -hmm. I was really into it. But it's just, you know, growing older as a person. And I try to listen to what I can. And there's definitely like a lot of modern stuff I do like. Um, But I mean, you know, having like really paying attention to what's going on is just less of a priority for me now. But ask me anything, you know, in the 2000s, 90s, or even before that, I'm I'm pretty good. Chances are I've listened to it or have very strong opinions about it one way or the other. All right. right, yeah. we'll I
0: have to leave it there for now because you have a flight to catch. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the, the app, of course, uh, Wingadoos, you can get it on all the different uh, iTunes store, all the usual spots. Yeah,
1: it's actually the one uh, you can get it on uh, any Android device or iPad. It is not yet available for iPhone. But what I'd recommend everybody to do is go to wingadoos.com. Uh, and log in. We have a browser-based version that can be used on any single device from wingadoos.com.
0: Great. And that should hopefully help the kids because cash rules everything around me.
1: That's right. Get the money. Dollar, dollar bills, mm-hmm.
0: y'all. There we go. We got to end it there. <laughs> thank you, Sam, for hanging out and uh, talking to me about the app and about old school New York, new school New York. And uh, we covered a lot. Yeah, that's was a lot so, of fun. So thank you, Sam. Thanks, Sammy. Sammy. Thank you, Sam. My name is Sam Yunin, and this has been My Summer layer on location in Greenpoint in New York City. After we were done, it was lunchtime, and Sam recommended Little Nick Outpost on Franklin Street. Also worth checking out after you downloaded the Wingadoos app. Lots of homework. Thankfully, some of it is delicious. I appreciate Brian Meesey for setting this up, and I was gratefully joined on this adventure with award-winning photographer Henry Vanderspeck. You can see what he sees at culturesnap.ca. Comments, fears, and cheers can be directed to my pal Sammy on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen.
1: It's all good, baby, baby. Uh, it was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Salt and pepper and heavy D up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack, Mr. Magic, Molly, more.